This is a bonus episode of the Bayesian Conspiracy. Me and Stephen had some follow-up questions for Brian Hanlon from California Yimby. Non-support listeners get the first 15 minutes for free. Patreon listeners get the full hour at the Patreon feed. Brian, welcome back. I had some follow-up questions that I ran into while I was doing some editing, and I think Stephen may have had some questions too. You kindly agreed to sit down with us for a little bit longer to feel some of these. Thanks for coming back. It was a really fun conversation, so this will be a good opportunity to talk a little bit more. Yep, happy back. Stephen, is there anything you wanted to start with? This might have been something to start the previous episode with, because I think we did talk about NIMBYism a little bit. I think that they are often talking about things that are like not housing, factories, schools, prisons, etc. Sure. And they talk about like traffic and noise. Do you think it's possible that any resistance you meet with uh, Yimbyism might be because people conflate those sorts of things with proximity to backyard? So that's a good question. I don't know that anyone weighing in on specific housing policy debates uh, is conflating the, like, say, allowing an apartment in their neighborhood versus allowing a battery um, factory. <laughs> that said, if you look at advocates that try to defend some of the tools of NIMBYism, uh, I'm thinking principally of CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act, they'll frequently talk about all these bad things that CEQA can help mitigate. And every single bad thing that they bring up, it's never housing. Maybe it's a battery factory. Maybe it's some other uh, source that will emit significant amounts of pollution in a given area. To me, this, this just strikes me as patently bad faith. I don't know that anyone is actually mistaking that a uh, particularly noxious industrial use uh, is the same thing as an apartment building. I wouldn't think that anyone who heard both, like you said, from a from a good faith representation of it could be confused. But like, I remember uh, this had been years ago. There's someone, you know, stopping by the the train stations trying to get signatures to get some letting things be closer to houses. So it was it's actually something related to this, and it ended up being some like fracking proximity reduced down to like 1,500 feet from housing or something. But the thing is, they talked about it like not letting things like that reduce your property value, yada yada, and they they just sold it like the the slipperiest way. I could imagine someone saying, you know, like all those regulations that protect your housing from your property value going down, you know, like not having factories and stuff. These Yimby folks are are trying to throw against that. But I guess you can never get ahead of people who are going to argue in that bad of faith. Yeah, right. And it's not as if there are Yimby organizations who are going out there and advocating for, say, nuclear waste disposal facilities, uh, <laughs> playgrounds. Like, it's, it's just not happening. So... I don't think no. that was a, a particularly uh, germane argument. Um, I do find it interesting, though, how advocates of bills like CEQA consistently conflate the, the sort of concentrated harms from industrial activities um, and housing. The faith is so bad, it seems like it must be deliberate. And if it's not, then it's just depressingly uninformed. It's not even nuanced to say, look, we're talking about housing for people. And that's it. Yeah, there's, I, I there's not say, a lot of depth or nuance or subtlety there. I do find that type of opposition to be deeply frustrating. It has been refreshing when I have one-on-one conversations with, say, some members of the legislature uh, who will tell me up front that they simply don't think it's good policy to allow lower-income people to live in upper-income neighborhoods because that will invite more crime. I disagree, but at the same time, 
I am glad they're being honest with their concerns and not citing some third wave Marxist geographer about how allowing new market rate housing uh, is going to upset some sort of you know complicated value capture regime. That's what honestly is is nice. That said, I also note that you typically don't hear that in public. I can think of another uh, member of the legislature who I'm not going to name any of these folks, but uh, one is a Democrat from Southern California, and they always vote against our bills and they vote against other pro-housing bills. And they said to me like quite clearly that they believe that we're essentially correct, that if we do upzone and legalize significant amounts of new home building, that will over time reduce the value of the existing housing stock. Uh, and then you will have lower income people being able to live in currently middle income neighborhoods. And they don't want that. And again, you know, I thank them for their honesty. I'm, I'm not going to get their vote, but at least now I don't need to waste my time. <laughs> These are arguments that I, I do hear in private sometimes, and, and I understand them. They're correct in, in the sense that if you don't want to live near lower income people or people who look differently than you do, then opposing home building is a pretty good policy. That said, if you are trying to achieve reductions in greenhouse gas emissions or protect uh, natural and working lands from development or make housing more affordable, reduce racial and economic segregation and all the rest, then you really should be supporting more housing in existing urbanized areas. I'm glad you talked on the crime thing and people's worry about that because that was a bit of what I wanted to touch on. You said uh, in our previous episode that if we want to make the vulgar EA comparisons between different peoples, then we can go ahead and do that. And I thought that would be an interesting take uh, on all this because when I was doing the editing and you mentioned the uprisings uh, uh, in, gosh, where was it again? They were all of the United States, but the one that I was specifically thinking of was in Hunter Point, California. Right. The Hunter Point Uprising. You mentioned that, so I paused the editing and I went to look it up just because I was curious about it. It was a period of, what, four days, it looked like, which was almost riotous. There were businesses broken into, um, buildings shot up, a lot of times by the police, actually. But there was just a lot of urban violence. Uh, it looked like a war zone. Apparently, the National Guard was called in. They rolled in with armored personnel characters and helicopters, military troop transport ones. And there, there were pictures of like just people crouching in the streets with long rifles uh, taking cover behind cars. And I was like, holy shit, it looked like it looked almost like a low-key urban war zone. The thing is, like, we can be dismissive of people's fears and all, but don't people have a right to live in places where they don't have to fear for their lives and for their neighborhood erupting in this kind of violence? If so, isn't there some argument to be made that people should have some sort of right to screen their neighbors? So I would say yes to the first um, uh, question and no to the second. Um, and so I, I do believe that everyone in the United States deserves to be able to live in uh, safe uh, neighborhoods where they do not need to fear uh, violence, whether from their neighbors, from other civilians, from police or from uh, car drivers. That said, like, let's think a, a little bit about what the, the possible policy solutions are to bringing about that state affairs, which I, I think most people would support. Mm hmm. The implicit argument to the second thing, which is that, well, shouldn't people be able to screen their neighbors? Shouldn't we be able to set some reasonable or, or everything reasonable, like some controls on uh, new home building in order so we can make sure that only a certain income level can live in our, in our communities? What you're effectively doing is saying, well, 
I have enough money that I should be able to wall off my subdivision or my town or suburb. The war zone can just continue. It's someone else's problem. It's not mine. To me, that's really giving up in that rather than encourage this balkanization of American society where different races and classes of people are living apart and some of them live in in deeply unsafe uh, areas with uh, really poor life outcomes and others get to stroll to the park and while eating ice cream cone or whatever, it's just like a, have, have a nice idyllic experience. That to me is, is not a state of affairs that any of us should consider acceptable. I agree with you completely, but I also feel like a lot of people don't feel like they have a choice. They're told if you want more policing, then you're racist and our police are awful. And I mean, it's true that the police are awful, but the solutions being proposed tend to be things along the lines of shut up. Let's let's defund the police. Let's have less police. I think a lot of the famous white flight issue was literally people saying, I cannot live in this neighborhood. There is no law here. I'm going to flee out where it's more expensive and where, yeah, I have to drive into work and it's awful, but at least I'll be safe. I think that's a bad way to solve the issue. But also when you're denied the ability to address these crime issues head on, what other choice do you have? Can I zoom out? I want to get clarification on a couple of things, Inyash. So One, we're now moving from like housing to police reform. And I don't know if that- Yes, but the housing is going to be brought back in in a few minutes. Okay, well, I'll put a flag in that and circle back. But the other thing was, you had said urban war zone. Looks like Hunter's Point was actually barricaded by the police. And there was a number of shootings. Police, they shot into a YMCA like 200 rounds. And it turned out there was no one in there except a few frightened people who were completely innocent. But there was a lot of looting in today's adjusted dollars, over a million dollars worth of looting and damages. I guess I can, like I can they, simplify my question. Uh, yeah. Urban is uh, often a euphemism for black. That's not – was that what you were meaning? Uh, that is not what I was meaning. I meant literally urban, but it okay, was good. a poor black neighborhood. I, yes. did, I did just want to quadruple verify. <laughs> that, I mean, it, it is – I, I guess it should be noted that it was a poor black neighborhood. So I'm I'm not trying to weasel my way out of that, but I, I didn't mean it that way when I said it. Uh, okay. I, I just wanted to be 100%. And uh, the last thing was um, when you say screen your neighbors, mm-hmm. I think it's worth expanding what you mean by that a bit. Because all, all that having expensive housing does is screen your neighbors by saying it's really expensive to live here, which means your neighbors have to have money. <laughs> you are jumping ahead. I was going to say there's no other way to screen neighbors, but with that thing due to legal restrictions, but I, I coming up soon. Okay. Then it seems like you're, you're... Which, again, I think all of these things are bad things. I just don't know if there's... What other recourse do people have but for those things? Okay. But then, then Brian will be better equipped to handle those. I was just... Uh, I wanted to make sure I was following what you were saying. Sure. So let me try to tackle this. One, I think we're conflating two things here. There's one, there's, oh, should we be sympathetic to individual households about personal decisions that they make in order to ensure family safe. And I think you're you're also really conflating 60s and 70s style like urban white flight with the contemporary lefty advocates around defund the police, etc. And if you're not on board this program, you're some irredeemable racist and you have no place in society. I would suggest that the type of defund rhetoric, who is actually saying that and supporting that? And how politically influential are they? If you look at even very progressive Democratic elected officials in cities like Oakland or Los Angeles, they're voting to increase their police budget this year, not decrease it. Yeah. It is the case that there are some advocates who act as you're describing. I'd suggest that those advocates, they're they're very loud, 
but they don't have much in the way of political power. And they're not that influential within the Democratic Party, even in these very progressive, solidly blue districts, let alone any sort of like national party platform, right? Like Joe Biden said the exact opposite, right? <laughs> I mean, like to him, like deep on the police is this sort of ludicrous leftist fever dream, right? Like yeah. it's just nowhere near the mainstream of the Democratic Party. It's not even influential in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. So people are sometimes mean on the internet, like get over it. Yeah, I think that might be mostly a Twitter phenomena, which I haven't really been on Twitter for closing in on a decade. So, I mean, I definitely heard people say this stuff, but I don't know how popular it actually ever was, but maybe I'm missing something. Well, you said that you disagree with the second part that people should have some ability to screen their neighbors. Correct. Why do you disagree with that? Sure. Well, I mean, one, I think in a multiracial democracy based on equality before the law, that people should not be able to say, no, I will not have this other you know, type of person living in my community. I think history is replete with examples of why that leads to all sorts of awful ends on a more practical program. How would you do this? Now, you can imagine, skipping ahead, this sort of land use policies where you effectively just segregate based on income and income correlates with, with a whole bunch of other things as well. Or you can imagine from, in some ways, a more lefty perspective, like a co-op model uh, mm-hmm. where instead of renting from this sort of faceless landlord who connects business through a property manager and it's really all about just maximizing the returns, what if we all lived in co-ops where individual buildings or communities were managed by the people who live there. And if you wanted to apply for an apartment or buy a condo or something of that nature, then you you had to effectively apply and it goes before a board. The board is democratically elected among the people who live in that building or in that community. And then they get to evaluate proposals and determine who lives there. Well, again, there has been quite a bit of scholarship like looking into this. And what you find is that co-ops, the sort of model that many erstwhile uh, lefties prefer, discriminate significantly more than, uh, say, big landlords uh, based on race uh, and, and, and and based on other uh, characteristics. I, I think we're going to have a really hard time achieving the world that most of us want, um, even if we are right of center, more moderate, left of center, or progressive. If we're allowing people to exert veto authority on who gets to live in a certain community. I don't know. I think that there's a lot to be said for wanting to not be scared of your children playing in the front yard. I think that when communities incorporate and try to make these sorts of laws, there's a lot of things they can't screen for. They're not allowed to ask for a criminal record of someone who wants to buy in an area. They're not allowed to ask for educational attainment or testing of various kinds. They famously cannot ask what someone's religion is, which as an atheist, I think is a very good thing. But the thing is like, you've taken away their ability to screen for any anything except for using income as a proxy. So they intentionally try to keep the prices really high for other reasons too, which I'll also get into. But one of them is as a screening method because income correlates a lot with things like criminality. And yes, that's awful, but I think the alternate where people are allowed to screen the people that can move into their neighborhood or their incorporated area might be better just so people feel safer. Because the people that I've met who have these concerns, they do not care, at least in in my generation. Obviously, with older people, 
race was a really big thing. But the people I've met do not care if their neighbors are black or Asian or what race. They just want someone who they can feel safe around, someone who will integrate in the community. For some of them, someone who... For another 45 minutes of this content, where we ask about no-fault evictions, people who want to live in low-density areas, and the explicit governmental policy of encouraging home ownership as an investment vehicle, sign up at our Patreon.